I, I want it so badly that I, I think I will do whatever it takes. And I don't think that I could live with myself if Cooper Street failed because I didn't do everything I could. I mean, listen, the business might not make it. I can't predict the future. Um, I can't. There's things that are just out of my control. But if the company is not going to be successful, it's not going to be because I didn't do everything in my power. Okay, welcome to the first episode of the Experiments and Conversation podcast. This is your host, Jared Hocking. Thank you for joining me. So before I introduce today's guest and the episode today, let me say a few quick things. If you are enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button on the Apple podcast page or the follow button in Spotify, wherever you might be listening to become aware of new episodes. And also, if you could, please leave a review on the Apple podcast page with any feedback that you have. My goal is to make it on the new and noteworthy section of the Apple podcast app, and your reviews are crucial to making that happen. Lastly, I'm taking a page out of one of my favorite podcasts, Hidden Brain's book here, and asking that if you enjoy today's episode, please share it with one friend who's not currently listening to the show. Thank you very much for all of that. Today, I'm speaking with Max Cerno. Max is the CEO and founder of Cooper Street Cookies and principal at the Cerno Company, a prominent commercial real estate company, both of which are based out of Birmingham, Michigan. Max is a longtime close personal friend and someone who has great perspectives on business, on living a purposeful and meaningful life. And as you look here, we'll get into some of those uh, life lessons that Max has, including overcoming limiting beliefs and fear of failure, what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, and some things that he learned from his late father, Jeffrey Cerno. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you find it valuable. Without further delay, I bring you Max Cerno. So I'm here with Max Cerno, founder and CEO of Cooper Street Cookies and principal at the Cerno Company. Max, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I am truly honored to be here with you, Hawking. <laughs> thank you. Well, uh, I hope my listeners, you know, zero as of today, go back. I hope as this thing grows in the future, many people listen to this because you are a person with uh, just some great insights, not in, only into your your success that you've experienced in business, but also life. And I think just obviously being a super close personal friend for so many years and someone who's super fun to talk to, I, I really wanted to get you on the show as one of my first two episodes. So I think my listeners, who they may be, will be interested that as of right now, you're currently running two companies. With all that free time, I'm sure you had plenty of opportunity to, to come on the show. But let's start with Cooper Street. So this is really a unique story. And one I think our, our listeners will appreciate. You coming out of school, I mean, you are one of our most qualified, most accomplished friends. From what I remember, graduating Michigan State, you know, you had opportunities like potentially taking a job on Wall Street or other things like that. You actually decided to start your own company and using this longtime recipe for biscotti, which is, I think, Italian for cookie or people know what biscotti is. Talk me through that decision process. What was, you know, were there any thoughts that came to mind of like, maybe these opportunities that I am being presented with won't be here in the future? You know, what if this thing fails? What would happen then? Or any other mental roadblocks that you experienced and what kind of convinced you to that this was the way to go to start your own company? So I'll, I'll answer all 19 of those questions. I'll, I'll try to remember <laughs> everything that you asked. So, but lesson yeah, number one, all, ask I, one I, question. <laughs> yeah. As I know, this is a new podcast and I am excited to be on it. And it's honestly the first time I've ever done a podcast. I've done interviews, I've done TV segments and things like that. And they're always really exciting, but I've never done one with a close friend of mine and somebody that I've known for a long time. So I think it's really cool what you're doing. And I know that one day when this thing blows up and you've got celebrities and, and famous people and, and experts in their field coming on here, uh, it'll be cool to look back on this and, and know that I was one of the first ones. So I do appreciate you having me on. So to answer your question about- Yeah, and people can go back and listen anytime. It, it's always going to be there. It's not not going great. away. Great. Maybe, maybe I'll go back one day and listen to it too. And We'll learn a lot from looking back, and hopefully we don't say anything too foolish because it's now public information. 
let me answer your questions about Cooper Street. So yeah, it was started right. It actually didn't even start when I graduated college. I, I had the idea while we were still in college at Michigan State. I was kind of going down two paths in my senior year. One of those was working on my resume and thinking about where I can get a job and doing interviews and, and kind of spreading myself out throughout different fields that I was interested in between, you know, whether it was finance or real estate or anything, you know, anything that had to do with accounting. I mean, those were my, those were my specializations in college. And so I was really kind of focusing on that, on getting myself ready to take the typical path that, you know, once you graduate college, you, you get an entry level job and, and start building your life. But I also have always had this entrepreneurial spirit where I wanted to, to kind of do something on my own and create something on my own. It, you know, it runs in my family with, you know, my dad started his own company. I kind of valued the the freedom that came with that because I got to grow up in a household where my dad was the he was the breadwinner and he was uh, able to have such freedom and get to take vacation and he was always able to be home for for dinner for us and you know when we wanted to take a vacation so like the idea of just being your own boss was something to me that I was like I have to try to figure out a way to do this. Now, most people can't just graduate college and be their own boss because they need money and they have to be able to pay their bills and they want to start their lives and they just they don't have the experience to be able to to do something like that because you can't really start your own business unless you you know what you're doing. So, for me, I thought, okay, why don't I try starting my own business now to learn a little bit about it because there were there were opportunities for me uh, with a few jobs, but nothing that really got me that excited. And all of which would require me to move out of Michigan, which was probably surprising for you to hear, but not something that I wanted to do. Um, you know, a lot of people were ready to get out of Michigan the second they could, but to me, I'm I'm more of a homebody, and and that's where I grew up, and that's where my family lived, and I just wasn't really ready to leave yet, as as weird as that sounds. So I wasn't excited to to get out of town. I wasn't an expert in websites or you know, inventing anything or, you know, I, I just, I didn't know how I could start my own business and I wanted to have something that was simple. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a consumer. I love looking at labels and packaging and I'm always in the grocery store doing shopping and, and I really care about what I eat. And I happen to have a great family recipe that, that my mom had been making for us our whole lives. And I thought to myself, well, what if we could try to sell this cookie you know, into grocery stores. And so luckily there was a program at Michigan State that offered basic information on just some of the legal requirements that are involved with like how to put a nutritional fact together, you know, what you need to be able to do to make a product and sell it to people for consumption and things like that. So I kind of took advantage of some of those resources at Michigan State and just started to learn a little bit about it during my senior year. So I don't know, Jared, do you remember because obviously we were very tight at that time. Do you remember like when I was getting into that and when I brought when I brought it up to you that I was thinking about doing it? Because I, I know I remembered engaging some of my closest friends and in trying samples and just kind of getting feedback from my closest people before kind of diving all in on it. Yeah, it happened. I mean, honestly, it, it kind of happened very quickly. I feel like you gained a lot of interest from you know the local community there just very quickly setting up and and you had the right strategy about if i remember correctly you would kind of set up these demonstrations with you know you there or your mom someone who could like really talk about the product firsthand and i think you kind of took this approach of like let's see if you know this is a something that like we love it our family loves it let's see if other people love it as much as as we do and when you kind of started to get that positive feedback you started to say you know this is Hey, this could this could really be something, and I think that's one thing that you and our friend Andy, who we also will be speaking with, who started his own company, have in common. In that, you didn't just wake up one day and say, "I'm throwing every other option out the door. This is it. This is my passion." Like you kind of tested and gathered that feedback and put things out there in the wild, so to speak, to see if you you really had something. Right. Do you remember that experience too? And was that kind of in, intentional on your part in your your family's part. So basically, what happened was I I had made um, 
you know, a couple batches of it, like in, in my mom's kitchen back in West Bloomfield and got it around to enough people and people seemed to really like it. And then when I finally got ready to like put a package together and start, you know, renting some space to, to in order to make these to sell them to, to grocery stores, that happened to be right around the time we graduated. So I was kind of at that pivotal point where it was like, all right, do I push this aside and maybe come back to it one day? Or do I do I go all in and see if I can make a go of it? It was a very difficult decision for me because that's a big choice that could lead you down a path of having a completely different life. I decided at that time that it was worth it for me to try at least because I didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have any real financial responsibilities except for myself, right? I'm cheap. So I can live a real cheap life. I lived at home with my parents. You know, they were paying for dinners and things like that. I just really had my car payment and that was, you know, and I just paid for the things that I wanted to do. So I was thinking to myself, all right, you know what? I've got about six months of savings that I had built up from just various jobs I had growing up and I've always been good at saving money. So I knew I had some time to at least explore this and go down that path to see if I can make a go of it. Because I just thought at some point, if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. And I really don't think I would have ever done it if I had gone down a different path of getting a job, just because I'm really passionate about whatever it is I'm doing. And I like to kind of go all in on it. So I just don't think I would have come back to it. I'm glad that I did decide to start Cooper Street because during that six month period, I was really able to gain some traction and learn a lot and kind of get that bug of, wow, this could be fun. Like I'm enjoying doing this. I'm hands-on with it. And Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see that this thing could one day potentially be a big company. So I just kind of kept on down that road. I've just been doing it ever since. So it's been uh, about eight years since I started the company and I haven't looked back since. I do do other things like you mentioned in the beginning that I help run our family's real estate company with uh, my older brother, Sam. But a majority of my time and my passion is rooted into Cooper Street. I live and breathe it, which I would say to anybody that's looking to start a business that you you have to go all in. It's just too hard and too much work, at least from my experience, to not, but you can't just mm-hmm. really dip your toe. You have to be all in on it if you want to make it successful because it's just too hard. It's too much work and and too many things come up that if you're not there and able to help manage all the different problems and and things that come up that it'll just die. Yeah, there's so many things that you can't delegate to someone else, especially in those early stages of the company. Like you, if you're the founder, you have to be the one doing that work and, and making those decisions. And that's so cool. I'm super proud of you. And so happy that everything worked out the the way that it has. One thing I'm super impressed by that I've been thinking about lately with small companies in particular is that in those early days, and, and this is something to a lesser degree that I'm kind of going through starting this own venture on my own or, or this own podcast uh, for the first time, is that you really have to do everything. Like you have to become an expert at marketing. You have to be an, an expert at social media finances, you know, even your your packaging design, finding out what's required to get your product on the shelves, website design. And by the way, your new website looks fantastic. I, I love it. Cooperstreetcookies.com. <laughs> Make sure to head there to get get your order. So talk to me, how did you manage to learn all of those skills? And how to this day, like I feel like you're still I think of you as like the chief everything officer. Like one day you might be in the office you know, looking at the books, looking at the finances, the next day you might be on the front lines with your employees, like baking the cookies. So how did you pick up all those skills along the way? And what is your kind of day-to-day look like now? So picking up the skills has really come with just being all in on the business, like I was mentioning earlier. I mean, you cannot expect to know everything at the start. And like I said, I went into this blindly. I don't, I, my family isn't in the food production industry I don't have a an uncle that started a a cookie company that I could follow his playbook. I mean, I really started this with no experience and no advisors to help me. And so I really have had to learn every single part of the process. And it's been really difficult, but I started slow. I've grown it slowly. And I think that's what's really helped me out is that I've been careful with spending and I've been really careful with 
taking my time and not going, trying to go too big too fast, which has allowed me to not make too big of costly mistakes. So when I started it, I was just making the product myself where I would make a small batch, I would bake them, I would deliver them to the stores, I would help stock the shelves, I would make sure to write the invoices, collect the payments, book it into our accounting system, do all of that. Now, obviously, we've grown a huge amount since then. But if you can imagine for me doing that over and over and over again, as well as actually doing live sampling in the stores and getting customers feedback and all that, I was just able to learn how the business works and get myself immersed in every single part of it. And I think that's what's been able to help me is that I know that not everybody is willing to do that kind of stuff just because whether it's an ego thing or they're just not physically able to do it or they think it's not worth their time. But to me, doing all of that kind of legwork and and rolling up my sleeves and, and just being a part of every single process has really helped me learn the right way to do it so that I have been able to delegate that on to other people. The marketing side of it, that's something that I'm no expert in mm-hmm. still. I mean, I would not consider Cooper Street Cookies a huge success yet. I look at it as we're st- I still consider us in startup mode, even though it has been eight years and we've come a long way. And you know, I'm very proud of, of where we are now. And, and I think the company is only going to continue to grow and get bigger and better. But I've made a ton of mistakes along the way that have been really costly and There's been so many nights where I just didn't know how I was going to get out of a situation. And I thought, this is it. The company is done. Whether it was a co-packer that's dropped me out of nowhere, or we had to have a big recall because the product wasn't made properly, or just something had come up where I was just like, all right, this is it. I don't think we're going to be able to survive. But just with that passion and, and just grit of being so immersed in the business has just allowed us to, to get through it all. Developing those skills has really just come from being in the business and doing it myself and just learning and reading and listening to other people and also studying how other people that have been successful have done it. Just being around other people and learning from, as well as just learning from mistakes and experiences has really kind of gotten me to the point where, like I said, I don't have a grasp on every part of the business, but I know enough to be effective and I'm still constantly learning all the time and trying to become better and better and better. I know that you're you're going to have our, our mutual friend Andy on. I look at Andy as internet kind of guru. He's done incredible things with mm-hmm. with bucket listers. He is in my opinion an expert in social media and online marketing and so I've been tapping into him and just saying, "Hey, what do you think about our website and what do you think about me starting to invest in Google advertisements so that we can draw more traffic to our website and get more people to go to our grocery stores and and buy our stuff. And so, you know, leaning on people like him is just so helpful. You know, now that I think about it, all of our friends, your close friends represent a different expertise that has helped you. I mean, that it seems like you were very calculated in that you got Andy, the social media, you got our friend, Sean, uh, he's doing the logistics, he's picking up your cookies and delivering them to the store. You got Dave can help with investments and uh, our friend Kevin, you know, he, he's a lawyer. He can review those contracts. <laughs> that's right. It seems like <laughs> you got everything covered. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And I got you to help. Uh, now I'm on your podcast. And so I've got now. Spread exactly, the message. Baby. Exactly. So that answer. I'm glad uh, late in the game, I could provide value. Yeah. I want to come back to a couple of things you said, which were really crucial. That is, I feel like a lot of companies you know, we look at successful companies and we don't realize that even potentially now, maybe not, you know, examples like Apple or Amazon that are basically printing billions of dollars, but other companies, I I just read this biography of Elon Musk, which I, I highly recommend, really fascinating. But one of the things I took away from that is that we look at Elon as someone who's extremely successful, probably one of the most seminal minds of our generation, one of the most influential people in the world. And he has these three different companies, Tesla, SpaceX, and SolarCity. But what you don't realize, if you haven't read that book, is that he was on the brink of failure so many times, like, and, and literally, like, you know, sometimes hours away from bankruptcy. And you mentioned how, you know, there have been points where failure seems imminent. When you've been in those instances, or how do you think you've been able to cultivate that mindset of, like, 
ignoring those limiting beliefs or, or finding ways to, to push through difficult situations? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I think it's just because I want it so badly that I think I will do whatever it takes. And I don't think that I could live with myself if Cooper Street failed because I didn't do everything I could. I mean, listen, the business might not make it. I can't predict the future. I can't. There's things that are just out of my control. But if the company is not going to be successful, it's not going to be because I didn't do everything in my power. That's just in my blood and how I've always been. I knew that we weren't going to be successful in the cookie business if we were just doing what everybody else was doing, was just making like gluttonous chocolate chip cookies. There's 10,000 companies out there that are doing that. I knew that we had to be unique and have some kind of a niche. And with that comes complicated manufacturing Mm -hmm. processes. We've had co-packers that have promised us all these great things, said they can make our items no problem. I would partially invest in some of the equipment that they would need and buy all the packaging that would fit on their machines. And then three months into the relationship, they said, we're not at the yields that we thought we were going to be and your price is going to be increased by 30%. And that just would kill my business because I have to be priced appropriately or people aren't going to buy my stuff. So for a while, I was actually selling our products at a loss because I knew that we would find the right co-packer at the time. And I didn't want to let go of any of my existing customers and disrupt the, the distribution chain because brand loyalty and, and having your customers be able to get your product on a daily basis and always have it in stock is super important. You know, I've had to make sacrifices like that. Last year, for example, on my birthday, actually, I got a call from our co-packer saying, hey, I need you to come down to our plant today and help us manufacture this because you have an order that's supposed to go out tomorrow. I have four or five people that are sick and I can't even run your order today. Instead of having a family birthday dinner, I got in the car and and drove seven hours to Pennsylvania (laughs) and helped pack cookies all night. And stayed in a a crappy little motel, got up at at five in the morning and packed cookies the rest of the day until the order was done and then drove home. That was an extreme example of something that I had to make that happen. And it was unfortunate, but, you know, I got the order done. I didn't disrupt the the chain with... um, with my customer Sam's Club, who was almost out of inventory. And and those are like the little things that you have to be willing to do and kind of just sacrifice in order to make stuff work. Things like that, they don't come up all the time, extreme things like that. But there has been many other occasions just like that, where you have to be able to be willing to say, I will do whatever it takes to make this thing a success. Yeah. I mean, that that story probably just speaks to why starting your own company and making forging a successful company is one of the hardest things that you can do. I mean, this is, I, I don't know at what point this happened, but you know, you're, this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier is that eight years into the company, I feel like you are still doing everything, like very much involved in every facet of the company. How many employees does Cooper Street have now? We've actually been able to downsize a little bit since we were uh, since we transitioned to having a co-packer, which is one of the things that I absolutely love is having low overhead because times like this with COVID and things like that, I don't have such a huge nut that I have to cover every month that I'll be in big trouble when sales are down. So the principles of the company are myself, my mother Elaine is a partner, my brother Sam is a partner. And then I have a right-hand person in my office that's the office administrator that handles accounting and order fulfillment. And then I have my partner in Kansas City. We have our our local demo staff of about 10 people that goes into the grocery stores and Sam's Clubs, places like that, to uh, promote our items, which basically acts as, as my vehicle and my ears to directly to customers because we're always getting feedback on Hey, what did they think of this lot code? You know, this batch that we ran, was it baked properly? How was the flavor? Things like that. So that's been really helpful for me to get, to be able to get feedback like that from like real customers in the grocery store. Are you still working with JDS? So we're not working with JDS, which is a bummer because they were a really uh, special part of our company. For people that don't know, JDS stands for Jewish Vocational Services. They're based out of Detroit. And they are a nonprofit that puts young adults with different either learning disabilities or special needs into like real world work environments. And when we had our own bakery, 
we were the number one supporter of the like the JVS supported employment program, which was such a cool thing. You know, they were handling everything from putting labels on and taping up boxes and all that. When we decided that, hey, we're going to eventually need to switch to a co-packer, we knew we were going to have to stop that relationship, which which was heartbreaking. But what was great is that all the people that had been working with me were there for four years and they all had become just way more qualified than when the day they started working for us from little things like timeliness mm-hmm. to professionalism and dealing with coworkers and stuff like that. It wasn't until we shut our bakery down at the December 31st of 2018 was the last day that we ran any product on at our own bakery. We were ready to shut down probably about five months before that, but I kept the facility running because I wanted to wait until we were able to place all of the uh, workers that were working at our facility into new jobs. And that's how long it took for them to find a, a home for all of these people. And at that point, like right at the end of, of 2018 is when they were able to get the last person placed at another job site. So we were able to have a smooth transition where right after the holidays, every single one of them had a new place to work and had a new job. It was a really great thing to be able to kind of let them move on and not be kind of left out in the wind. It's one thing that I, I wish we still had involvement, but, and, and you never know one day we, we might build our own facility, but just for now, there's, there's no need in the immediate future to, to bring them on. We still donate product for all of their functions and, and holiday raffles and all that kind of stuff. We're not doing anything with them at this point. I think that's such a unique, obviously knowing personally and knowing the importance that you and your family place on helping those that don't have the same fortune. I, I just always thought that was a really special thing that you you did for those community members too. It's, it just strikes me as so unfair, you know, their situation, you know, otherwise being totally employable folks, adults, you know, just having those disabilities and the fact that you gave them a livelihood for so long and then provided that training and, and provided a transition period to, for them to find another job is really special. That actually is related to another question that I have for you, Max, which is philosophically, as we've gotten older, becoming aware of all the possible outcomes that one can have in, in life, just becoming appreciative of the circumstances that we've been given. And I know for you, charity and helping those that are less fortunate um, has always been a huge part of your life. How do you think philosophically about charity and what causes are important for you? Charity is something that's very special to me. I have always been involved in some way or another, you know, whether it was helping out with at this this really cool charity called Higher Hopes, which is, you know, they donate a thousand meals over holiday time to all people and families with low income in the city of Detroit. It's amazing. We we donate cookies for all of those families every year. But even before I started Cooper Street, it was participating in, in Make-A-Wish and things like that. So I wasn't born with any disabilities or illnesses. I've had nothing but opportunity my whole life. And I, I really appreciate that. And I know how rare that is. And the situation that I'm in is is not the normal. If I can help out other people in any way, then I, then I choose to do that. I'm not spending every weekend at a soup kitchen handing out food. One of my goals is to make Cooper Street big enough into, into a big enough company that I can start to have more of an impact. But I feel like I do what I can now. I, I actually started a, a, a charity called Cooper Street Kids that we donate cookies every Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter to children's hospitals. And you know we might give away $1,000 worth of cookies each time. And it's it's not a ton, but it helps. And it's little things like that, that we, I try to give back to. So I'm still focused really in on growing the business and trying to make this thing a much bigger powerhouse. And then I, I know that at that point, when it gets to that point where we have enough cash flow and, and, and all that, that we'll only ramp up you know, what we're doing with our charity and, and be able to you know, donate, not just cookies to lower income households and things like that, but but also to, to donate money and also have our employees spend time uh, volunteering. So cool. Yeah, that's I mean, that's something that I've picked up and admired from you as well is even the physical tests that you you put yourself to help bring joy to others, like the, the make a wish ride that you do almost like every summer. I, I know 
300 miles in, in three days raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. We'll probably get into this more a later episode, just like philosophically about charity and about like putting yourself in the perspective or in the shoes of, of someone else. But I, I guess I'll just speak quickly to that. One thing that I've come to realize in this life is that really the only thing that separates you from that person in that other position, that that less you know enviable position, whether it might be someone who's born in a war-torn country or someone who's born with some debilitating condition is, is literally just luck. Because of that, I, I feel like we would want to create a society that is, has more equal outcomes where people are not living behind compounds in trillion dollar houses while other people are starving. And what some people get wrong, I think sometimes is that while this person, they could have made uh, different choices or they could have change their outcome in some way, you know, the, the homeless person holding up the street, the sign on the street. But what I really think is that if you were given those same exact circumstances, not you meaning Max Cerno, but if anyone was given those same circumstances, the same upbringing and the same environment, like you would end up the same way. There's just no way to change that. The podcast that inspired this podcast, the Making Sense with Sam Harris podcast, he has an episode kind of talking about this with, with a guy who works on more impactful giving. And I think it's just awesome that our friends and people we know like support giving back in that way. I wanted to, we, we're short on time. Um, I know running two companies is, is not easy. I wanted to actually, buddy, I wanted to ask you a question about your dad. Is that okay? Sure. So Max, we've touched on at times your dad who passed away tragically five years ago, he, a, a lot of what we're talking about, and, and honestly, both of us, we probably learned from him. I mean, he was just one of the most exceptional people to ever really be on this planet and had one of the best attitudes and, and perspectives you can possibly have. And, and there's so much we can learn from him. I'm just curious if I want to share too, like a little bit about those kind of approaches, those lessons I learned from him. But from your side, um, I want you to go first, like, just the approaches towards life and towards business that that you learned from your dad that you think other people could could learn from. Yeah, well, no, I I appreciate you bringing it up. So it's, I mean, it's it hasn't been the easiest last five years. I'd say that for sure. You know that we were him and I were were best of friends. That was one of the probably the main contributor to me not wanting to leave Michigan was that I would have to leave him, and that that's something that I just wasn't ready to do based on how close we were and how much he taught me and, and how much I respected him. And just every time I was around him, I would just become a better person. So again, contributing a lot of my success and the, and the person that I've become, I have to give him credit, which I, I still give him credit every day for it because I don't know how I would have become the person that, that I have without his, his guidance and, and mentorship and, I still carry the lessons that he taught me with me every single day with so many decisions that I make and just ways that I approach business. Can you talk about that specifically? Like what are some of the things that you, when you put yourself at like, what would, what would my dad do? Like, what are some of those things that you remember him teaching you? Sure. Well, I know that, I mean, first of all, it was, it was always do the right thing. That to me is a, something that has resonated with me for as long as I can remember. There's a lot of bad business people out there that that try and cut corners and and take advantage of partners and 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 just take advantage of of so many situations and I think that's why people are always so careful when they go into business is because they've been burned from so many people in the past and if you can kind of go into things and say I'm always going to do the right thing and I'm never going to lie about it then you never have to remember anything twice because you just tell the truth so that's something that has always really helped me and I think has helped my business in the fact that I've, I think I've developed a really good reputation in the community for, you know, for being a reliable business person and, and having people wanting to, wanting to work with me, not just with Cooper Street, but also with the Cerno company that, that my brother Sam is the president of. We were able to kind of take the reins from when we lost my dad and, and take over that business, starting off with an amazing reputation. It's, it's kind of that golden rule. Like he lived like do unto others as you know, you would want them to do to you, right? Yeah. I mean, you just like, I just feel like, like he's watching and I don't want to do anything that would 
that would let him down and have him think that's not the way you were raised and that's not the way I taught you to treat people. Whether it's it's just my own intuition or weird way of keeping him with me, I, I that's my way of keeping him around and, and my thoughts and, and just acting and being honorable as the way that I was raised. So, and I think that that's really paid off for us and and it makes me feel good about the person that I am. He saw life as a huge opportunity. Like there was so much to explore, right? Like there, our tagline for him was, or the thing he often said was, what are you waiting for? Talk a little bit about that. I mean, that is something that he always said. And when he passed, my uncle made those bracelets that, that people wear, like the, you know, like the Livestrong bracelets that, what are you waiting for? And it was, each day is so precious. And each moment that you have you should really be living it kind of like it's your last. My dad would always tell people, what are you waiting for? Whether that was contemplating going on a vacation or opening up a bottle of wine that they've been saving for something special or, or just like little things like that. It's like, what are you waiting for? Like, do it, live your life, go out there and, and enjoy it and be the best that you can be because life is short and it's precious. It goes by very quick. There's so many people procrastinate and, and put things off because they don't think they can do something. So, you know, his mentality of what are you waiting for has really lived with me. And I wear that bracelet on my wrist every day. And I know a bunch of our friends do. And it's really like a great mantra to just think along those terms of, of go for it, do it and, and enjoy it because before you know it, it's gone. He was someone who totally lived that. He didn't just say it. He lived that. I think about him climbing Mount McKinley or when we would go hiking with him in Aspen, how always the first one up the trail, like wanting to be the first one to see that lookout point. Couldn't think of enough adventures to go on and experience that all that life has to offer. That's right. He was absolutely like that, larger than life, more energy than anybody I ever knew. I'm not like that. I'm, I'm like him in a ton of ways, but just the energy level and the drive is something that I don't, mm -hmm. I, I don't know anybody that has that. People always compare themselves to their parents. And a, a lot of people who, are, who grew up with great parents, like they idolize them and they want to be like that. And so that's been something that it has been a little bit tough for me just because he's not here. I can only go off of the script that ended when he passed. And so I'm not doing the things that he was doing at this point, but it's something to definitely aspire to and a goal to, to reach for. I want to share a couple of things that I remember that are just really life lessons that anyone could pick up on, but are easier to acknowledge or know about, harder to implement. Just let me know if you think these things are, are true and things you remember about him too. He would never gossip behind anyone's back. If there was something that he had to say, if he wouldn't say it to that person, if they were in the room, he wouldn't say it at all. I think in, in Buddhism, it's actually called bad speech. Like gossip is bad speech. Like he just committed to that. Another thing I remember is that he was so focused on the person that he was talking to. Like today where if we're at a party or something, like everyone's looking to speak with the most, you know, attractive or most famous person there, he, he didn't care about that. He if he was in a conversation with you, if he if you were close with them and you chose to engage him in a conversation, you were all all that mattered. Another thing which I think a lot of our listeners could learn from and and our society has kind of become warped in this way where we're always looking for like the or a lot of people are looking for that external validation. You know, I think about people who post a picture on Instagram and wait to see, you know, how many likes it gets. Like they're they're kind of looking for other people to give them approval. He didn't need that. I think of those stories that came out of like in the middle of the night or without anyone knowing, you know, he would just be gone and he would be flying gifts or flying presents to kids around Christmas times at hospitals and wouldn't even tell anyone about it. But he knew that it was the right thing to do. It made him happy seeing those kids happy. He didn't need to tell anyone about it or how many donations he made. And then like another thing which I've discovered lately and through podcasts as well is that we might think that our own giving ourselves satisfaction actually will make us happy, but actually it's more effective to make others happy. And that was the thing that he took so much joy in was seeing, creating experiences and, and living his life in a way that could make others happy. You know, I think about the story that Lisa told where he said, where do you want to go? And they just went to Machu Picchu because that was the thing that would make her most happy. So do all those things sound like uh, what you remember and, and anything you want to add to that? I think you're spot on. 
I get very immersed and very stressed out and, and all bent out of shape with, with business all the time from the littlest things. And I always try and, you know, no matter what, step back and think about big picture and why it is that I'm so passionate and working so hard. And I think the reason that I do what I do, thinking about, well, what is it that's going to ultimately make me happy is finding a way to share the joy with other people. I just got married a couple months ago. I plan on having a family soon and I want to be able to provide a great life for my wife and my future kids and be able to do really fun things and, and help take care of my mom and do all these things. And nowhere in that statement is there really anything that has to do with, well, I want to buy a a really expensive car. I mean, I'm not trying to to tout that I'm like the most selfless person because by all means I'm not and I and I love doing fun things and taking care of myself, but I think that something that I definitely learned from my dad is that having a great life and an opportunity for people around you that you that you care about the most and that you love the most is what made him happy and I'm finding that that's really what makes me happy. Little lessons and and things like that that I picked up from him, I still use all day, every day with almost every decision that I make. I mean, I was lucky to have a parent that was always right. I remember one time my brother and him got into an argument. My brother started off by saying, you know, dad, I know that you're right 99% of the time. <laughs> and my dad cut him off and said, no, no, Sam, I'm right 100% of the time. And, he, and Sam and I joke about that all the time. And honestly, he was right. He was never wrong. And so we always we kind of just use him as a, as a playbook. And we have to create our own lives and, and move on, figure a lot of this out on our own. But we had a really, really good, solid foundation. And I'm just I'm thankful for that, for the time that I did have with him and that you were able to get him for as long as we. Did. Yeah, I mean, a lot about what you just said strikes me in many ways. But one thing that strikes me is like, I feel if I'm like a lot of people get caught up in too many things about like, you know, how we present ourselves or how other people think of us or what we think might make us happy. I think about like celebrities that have unfortunately like, you know, celebrity kind of uh, ruined them in some way, like uh, Michael Jackson or Kanye, you know, they got to the top of their right. fields and then all of a sudden kind of all this scrutiny and getting almost that their ego gets too big for themselves. Like, on a smaller level, I think a lot of us like experience that about like, you know, am I well received or like, was I funny enough today? Like, did people think what I had to say was interesting? And for your dad, like he struck the right note of like, I'm just going to live my life in the best, most ethical possible way, like with the most integrity ever. And obviously at the same time, he was so fun and so funny and had those things going for him too. He had these lessons and he was so wise. And that's why the entire town, everyone within driving distance showed up to remember him. People remember him for being like that. And he's still passing on those lessons to us. He shows what life is really all about. If he could have written that book, like we could all learn so much from it. A lot of people who are thinking about life in a different way about their Instagram following or, you know, how many people show up to the club for them or whatever else, like he just had that right mentality. Yeah, exactly. And I think I'm a lot like that too. I mean, I don't, there's nothing wrong with it, but everybody seems so immersed in, in social media and posting everything that they're doing and trying to like puff up their image as much as possible to post out there and, and show to a bunch of strangers. And to me, it's like, it just, it, it turned me off. And I always joke that I was born <laughs> in the wrong time period. I think I'm too old fashioned for that kind of stuff, even though, you know, I'm 30 and I'm right in the age where everyone's doing it, but I'm kind of the same way. Like I just try to live my life and, and have the best possible time that I can. And I'm not worried what other people think about me. I, I really never have. And I, I don't think I will. I've never been able to connect with the social media in ways that other people have. And I think people get so caught up in, in trying to show off to the world, you know, how great they are and things that they're doing. It's a really popular thing. Obviously, I'm I'm the outlier here. I'm I'm not trying to preach to people not to use it because I do think that has a lot of really awesome tools and it's helped a lot of people in, in so many ways, including me personally with uh, with my business. I don't like social media, but uh, go follow Cooper Street Cookies on Instagram right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're if you're on social media already, 
<laughs> if you're already there, then you might as well check it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's easy to get sucked into that stuff, though, because it almost like neurophysically, the way our brain operates is like there, we have a reward seeking function. And when you see all those likes coming in and that kind of external validation, you get that kind of dopamine rush that you don't get in the same way from having 10 close personal friendships. I mean, that's another thing, you know, we talked a little bit, we talked briefly about like what makes you happy. And if there's anything I've learned over time, it's certainly not like, oh, if I just get to this one point, like if I accomplish this one goal or if I get this car, you know, that I've been dreaming of, like now I'll just be happy. It's, it's really about the systems that you create. If you feel like you're, if you go to bed at night and you feel like you're living an ethical life, if you have close personal friends who know you and can count, you can count on them. Like those are the, the things that really matter. I know you've, you've kind of always known that it's easy to get tempted by those other possibilities, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. We're running out of time, but I have this tradition I want to start of asking every guest um, the same two questions. Potentially we'll expand, but I want at least these two to be asked. And Max, you've been so generous with your time. And I think this is going to be a, a great conversation to listen to. The first question is, if you could solve one problem in the world, what would it be? I'm passionate about hunger. I think it's insane by how much food is wasted. And I'm, I've really been interested and, and intrigued by learning about the about the food production system and the supply chain, just being in the business and seeing how it works and knowing how many opportunities there are for food not to get wasted. And it still does. Mm -hmm. So to me, just tragically, like seeing how many people don't have adequate food is something that I've kind of drawn attention to and try and do my part with. I know that you and I have, have dabbled in veganism and, and going plant-based and things like that. And so I know that we're both really interested in- Well, maybe we'll do another episode. Yeah, for sure. If I could solve one thing, I think it would have to be to change the supply chain system in order to get people the food that they need, because I think it's a solvable issue in that, it, like I said, it's just such a shame based on how much food is wasted. So- Companies like Kroger are really involved with it, and they're one of our partners. And so I like to learn a lot about that and see some of the ways of, of things that are, are coming out to prevent that. Like I was just learning about, about this product today that Oprah invested in that's going to make produce last three times as long as it does now. It just got valued. This company just got valued at some, some ridiculous number, but it's things like that that give me uh, excitement to hear about ways that, you know, there's scientists and we can use technology to try to make the world better by doing little things like that. So, I mean, that's probably what I'm, what I would like to find a way to, to, to get even more involved with, uh, over time, just because it's such a serious issue and, and it affects so many people. Totally. That's a great one. I can't remember the exact number, but the New York Times just came out with a story that I think it was one in four kids are facing hunger in the, in the US even today the US is you know one of the wealthiest countries on the planet yeah it's insane it's not because we don't have enough food that's the part that's nuts it's there's tons of of production it's not like the it's not like we're like oh we just can't make enough food so one out of four kids you know can't eat it it's the fact that based on the way that the supply chain is set up and the way that things get wasted and thrown away, there's enough food out there that's actually being produced to feed everybody and hunt. It's just a broken system. So I don't know how it's going to get fixed, but I, I know it is getting better and, and a lot of really smart, powerful people are working on it. I hope to see more and more things come out that, that can help kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be one of the most pressing challenges that we face going forward. And in my area of interest in conservation is, you know, as the world population balloons to 10 billion, potentially 12 billion, some estimates, how are we going to feed that, that many right. people in a sustainable way with the effects of climate change? There's a lot to talk about there, but we're unfortunately short on time, but definitely a great goal. Um, secondly, if you could meet any person that you haven't yet met, who's ever lived and just spend like a day with them or, or go out to lunch with them, who would it be? Uh, that's a great question. I would love to meet Mark Cuban for a couple of reasons. One, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank and people always joke with me like, are you going to go on Shark Tank? You should go on Shark Tank. I always 
kind of laugh it off and say no, because I, I really don't have any interest on it. I just really respect him as a businessman. And I think people just think he's only the owner of the Mavs and goes on Shark Tank, but he's also just such a cool, great guy. I listen to a lot of the interviews and articles that he's in. And, and he, I, every time he speaks, I'm just like, that makes so much sense. Hearing the way that he talks, he just he kind of simplifies things when they don't need to be so overly complicated. I've always just found him as an inspiration for for business and for and for life. And so I would love to spend a day with him. Maybe we would shoot some hoops and things like that. But I'd love to just kind of pick his brain and get his overall thought process on business and and raising family and and life. He just to me seems like the whole package and, and what I would aspire to to be not necessarily on his scale, but but just to kind of mimic some of the the, the ways that he thinks and, and acts. Well, I feel like that's attainable. Like, I feel that's not impossible, right? Like, I feel like we could get you and Mark Human together. Um, maybe you never know. <laughs> I haven't, uh, you know, started stalking him yet. No, I did see him once at a Pistons game. And oh, I was wow. thinking about going up to him, but he was with his family and I didn't want to be that guy. But right. one day I'm, I'm sure it'll happen. Mark is great. I mean, uh, even if you have to go on Shark Take and sell like 0.5% of your company in, you know, just to spend the day with them. Or I could just go on and just say, hey, I'm not even interested in the deal. I just really wanted to meet you, Mark. <laughs> that, that episode might not get aired, but it, it could be a good strategy. And then the last one, very last question, I promise, before we part ways here. For our listeners, if you have one recommendation for a book, an article, an author, a movie, a podcast, a podcast episode, something that has been very transformative for you. What is that recommendation? Well, I can definitely recommend my favorite book of all times, which will not make you smarter. It's not a life lesson. It's a nonfiction book by Wilbur Smith called River God. Huh. I absolutely love it. I highly recommend it. It is. It takes place in ancient Egypt. It's about a slave that works his way up into becoming just a badass officer. And it was my dad's favorite book. It's my favorite book. I've read it a bunch of times. This is a novel by, by an author named Wilbur Smith. It's a great escape from all the BS that you have going on in your life to just tune it all out and get into a really fascinating, exciting story. I just, I can't recommend it enough. And I think everybody that reads it will just be blown away and it'll give you a great perspective and it's very enjoyable and I highly recommend cool. it. Cool. I did not know about River God. Yeah. I mean, fiction gets dissed sometimes because it's like not based in, in reality or whatever, but there's actually studies that show that people who read fiction a lot, like are, have a lot of emotional intelligence, like can put themselves in other people's perspectives. So that sounds like a really cool one. I'll, I'll add that to the list. This has been fantastic my friend, Max. I think people who listen to this, whether it's this week or down the road as, as we gain some traction here, are going to really take away some great lessons from this conversation. And it's been a pleasure to, to have you on. Well, I appreciate you having me on. This has been a lot of fun and I appreciate the tough questions and excited to, to see how this grows and would love to come back if, if you're willing to have me. Absolutely.